Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome back to another episode of the ISO with myself, Dan Dickow, as your host and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's guest is trending in social media circles, and rightfully so. He's hit, he hit one of the biggest shots that I've seen in quite some time. At the TBT, time winding down during the ELAM ending, it's a corner three for his team, the Golden Eagles, to win a million bucks. None other than former NBA player Travis Diener back home in the state of Wisconsin. Travis? Kind of a whirlwind last 48 hours or so for you, I can only imagine. How is life and how are you adjusting to hitting such a huge shot? Yeah, it's been it's been a uh it's been a wild ride here in the last, you know, 24, 36 hours. We uh we're fortunate enough to finally get over the hump in the TBT. You know, we've come so close the last three years, uh final four three years ago or two years ago than last year, uh lost in the championship and in kind of heartbreaking fashion, we were right there at the end. And then this year to, to finally close it out uh, and go through, you know, as an athlete, go through one of the bigger moments, you know, winning championships is hard. And when you lose, it hurts. So to be able to come through for my teammates um, and be able to celebrate with them. And now, you know, it's gotten, you know, this tournament, you know, with, with what's going on in the world and the only live sports really going on, it's getting a lot of attention. So naturally now, you know, my phone's been blowing up a little bit with uh, with all the uh, attention from the from the shot. Well, most kids grow up kind of counting down in their head: five, four, three, two, one, let it fly. And, and you imagine you win a game or you win a championship. You did that, but you also won a million dollars for your team collectively. When you knew you were open on the baseline and you saw that pass coming. What was running through your mind, or did you just go through your normal catch and shoot process? Yeah, it was, it, you know, and you know, uh, playing at a high level or any level at all, and, and all the shots and all the preparation that we've taken throughout our lives, you know, basketball happens so fast. You don't have time to really process the moment at the time. You know, it's a split second. I was just worried about, you know, getting my feet right, being on balance and following through. And if you can tell by the way I shot, I really, you know, stuck my follow through because the previous two shots of the game that I had, I was way off and I was just concentrating on putting a good shot. And once it left my hands, I knew it was going in, but you know, I wasn't thinking about the money or the, the moment, you know, cause it happens so fast, just worrying about, you know, give, giving it a good shot. And fortunately it went in and, you know, now we can talk about it. Uh, you mentioned the TBT is, has been a unique event at this time because of the coronavirus pandemic with everything being shut down. It's going to be interesting to see how NBA uh, gets going with games in their bubble. But the tournament with John Muger and everybody involved did a phenomenal job of, of uh, from what I saw from an outsider perspective, taking care of you guys and making sure that everything was done properly. How difficult was it at the start to get – kind of comfortable in that bubble and what kind of precautions did they take that really really worked well they did a great job yeah first and foremost they they put our, our our health and safety first before the tournament 
And we were tested a couple times here in Milwaukee before we left to make sure that we weren't entering uh, the quarantine or the bubble uh, positive. And then once we got there, we were tested five or six more times. Uh, and obviously any positive test, your team was eliminated. And you saw a couple teams that were eliminated before they got there and one team got eliminated once they arrived. But, you know, once you're in the bubble, uh, yeah, it's, it's an adjustment. You know, you couldn't co-mingle with other teams. You couldn't go outside. There's security guards. check if you, if you left the hotel, you were kicked out. Your team was kicked out. So they, made, they did a good job. And, you know, people are talking about the NBA and how it's going to work. It's going to work if the players buy in. Like, all the players in the TBT bought in. You know, we, we sacrificed, you know, what we had. We were together as a team, but we knew that if we violated any of the rules, we were done. So if the NBA players want it to work, they'll make it work, and they'll, they'll sacrifice, you know, the, the stuff that they need to, and they'll get the job done. But, you know, if not, it won't work. Yeah, Gonzaga, we put together a, a TBT team for three years. The first two years we made Sweet 16. Uh, the third year, I, I didn't play. I was I might actually be the only person in the history of TBT to play, to coach, and to be a broadcaster because I, I called one of the games. So I'm a big fan of that event. But you guys have had that natural progression where you've gotten better each year. How fun is it to be back involved with your college teammates um, doing something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, as you get older, and, you know, I'm 38 now, and the opportunity to to represent Marquette again means a lot. You know, I never would have imagined I would ever be able to represent Marquette again in my life. And obviously it's in a smaller way, but it still means something. So to come together as former Marquette players, represent the jersey, um, like you said, our ascension towards this championship has been hard. You know, every year we've taken one more step and sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, sports just doesn't give trophies away, and you have to you have to earn it. And I told our guys this year before the, the championship that I really thought we deserved to win this one. That we were the most connected, the most together team. I said last year I didn't think we were that that team. I thought Ohio State was that team, but I really felt this year this was our year. We all bought in. We sacrificed. We all came to Milwaukee early to to get ready for it. And I think you saw that in the way we played and, and how connected we were. I can tell and sense the passion that you have for Marquette. It's very similar to a lot of guys my, like myself with Gonzaga and their connections. That's the first time that you and I connected was actually a Gonzaga versus Marquette game at the, the Great Alaska Shootout, which no longer is one of the premier college basketball events because everyone wants to be in Maui or, or the Bahamas or different places. But that was a great event. I was a senior. I believe you were a freshman. Um, do you remember that game? And then what was, uh, your greatest memory from that tournament? If you do remember? Yeah, I definitely remember it because, um, you know, coming into college and leading all the way up to that. And even after that, you know, coach Crean had me watching film of you, uh, naturally to, to get better. And I always respected the way you played. And obviously we're, we're built kind of the same. We look kind of the same, you know, so it was stuff that I could take from your game. You were older than me. And, you know, when someone's pushing someone on you and, and watching film, you're like, well, I want to prove that I can play to this level. And you were All-American. So, yeah, I remember. I mean, we played well. We, we won the game. I know I hit. I know I played. Personally, I played well in that game. And yeah. uh, it obviously was a big big stage. It was championship of, the, you know, what was a premier event in college basketball back then. You guys were top 10, top 15 team. And we hadn't arrived yet. We were kind of this 
unknown, unknown team at that point. So, yeah, I took a lot from that game, and our team took a lot from that game because that was kind of – that kind of put Marquette back on the map uh, nationally is, is when we went in there and we beat you guys. And um, I actually know we did a pretty good job guarding you that game too as well. Yeah, you as well as – I believe it was uh, – was the name Cordell Henry, a little yep. small guard yep. who yep. Really climbed up almost 94 feet, made, made life difficult, that's for sure. But the other thing I remember about that game is Dwayne Wade literally had a breakout tournament. And in that championship game against us, he darn near had like a quadruple double. I think he had 24, 25 points, probably 12 rebounds, eight assists, eight steals, maybe about seven turnovers as well. It seemed like every time there was a play that had to be made, Dwayne Wade was a part of it. And then obviously he, he took that, he ran with it, he became a household name in college and one of the best players to ever play this game. What was it like to see his progress as a player in college, but then continue his ascension as the pros? Because I can only imagine uh, you became really good friends with him. Yeah, well, Net, when when Marquette was recruiting me, Marquette wasn't, to be honest, wasn't very good. And and I wanted to go to a program that had a chance to win and win big. And, you know, they were selling me on the fact that this kid is sitting out because you know, D Wade was a prop 48. So he was sitting out my senior year of high school. And they're like, well, you got, this kid's going to be, he's going to change the program. And in, in my back of my mind, they're like, wow, they're just saying that they say that about every kid sitting out. And within like one or two days of seeing him, you know, he was just a monster in practice and he was, he was, he was quiet. Uh, he let his work do his talking. And then throughout his two years at Marquette, you could just see he got better and better and better every day. And his, his first year, uh, which was my freshman year, you know, he, he wasn't really assertive uh, as much as he was, you know, in the following year. So I think you saw him gain a lot of confidence in his body and the way he played. And, you know, by the time, you know, we reached that final four, he was, uh, he was just a monster college, college basketball player. Maybe, I mean, it was unfair. And, and I don't think anyone expected him to have the, the professional career that he did. I mean, to say someone's going to be a top, 25 player of all time is is kind of crazy but uh he just kept getting better and he has got a, he's got a, a different kind of game he's kind of got he's a great athlete but he's got a kind of an old school game where he's got floaters and he uses the glass a lot um he's got long arms so you know and he deserves it he worked extremely hard it's not just like he was um given anything you know he was under recruited uh coming out of high school he faced uh difficult you know things growing up so everything he's earned and uh, it's a credit to, to the way he's worked. Yeah. I've heard the same about his work ethic and his dedication to the game, but you had that as well. Anybody that's similar to us with our size and, and I don't want to say limited athletic ability because we had to be quick enough. We had to be strong enough, have, have good enough balance to be able to do what we did on the floor. But quite frankly, we weren't probably pegged as surefire NBA guys growing up. You carved out a pretty darn nice NBA career when you look back at your career, what are you most proud of? Well, I think, I think you, you touched on it, and I think you probably feel the same as, you know, we're playing in a predominantly uh, black sport. And, I mean, black athletes are better athletes. I mean, to be honest, you know, they, we are undersized. I'm not as strong, uh, not as fast, don't jump as high. So I think I'm, pro I'm, I'm most proud of the fact that, you know, when I look myself in the mirror that I think I got the most out of, you know, my God-given ability. I worked extremely hard to get uh, to have the career I've had. 
and I have no regrets on, you know, I don't look at myself and be like, well, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I think I maximize my ability. And that's what makes me most proud. Not, not so much, you know, all the, the championships and all the winning, obviously, that's what you play for. But I know that I gave everything to the game and I maximize my ability. Who was the toughest matchup that you ever had? Because the point guards in the NBA, it, it's a nightmare. Night to night, it is so difficult. Who was the hardest matchup for you? For me, it was probably Darren Williams because of his size. You know, and, and that was at a point of a four or five year stretch where he was probably the best. Him and Chris Paul were probably the two best point guards in the league. And with his size, you know, he was just such a mismatch. Um, he was a problem. And then actually, you know, a guy from from out that way is Nate Robinson because he had the ultimate freedom. And if he got you on an island, you know, I wasn't standing in front of him. And he could really shoot the ball. So those two guys I remember. Uh, and I think another guy you played with was uh, Sam Cassell. You know, thighs, he just puts you in the mid to low post, and there's nothing I really could do. So those three guys, I remember vividly giving me problems. Um, the other guys, you know, were tough, but it's it, it was more pick and roll. And that was, you know, a lot of that was on the bigs too. So these guys, in, in a isolation standpoint or a physicality standpoint, they really uh, gave me problems. Yeah, some great names that you mentioned there. Sam Cassell doesn't get mentioned, I, I think, enough as being one of the, the really good point guards during his career. His craftiness, his ability to get to his spots was unbelievable. I remember having to guard him in practice, and it didn't matter what I did. If he wanted to get to his sweet spot, which was, you know, two steps off the block to get to his patented fadeaway, he was going to get there. And he would even tell you in practice, hey, Dan, I'm going to back you down to here. I'm going to wait for the double to come, and then I'm going to fade over my shoulder and shoot it, fade away to the baseline. It, it was ridiculous. Um, so hard to guard. You go from playing in the NBA, you go to Europe, and then you come back to, to be a part of the Marquette basketball coaching staff, and then you go back to play professional basketball in Europe. I, how difficult was that? Because I know for myself, the second I was done, I couldn't have turned that switch back on to play, but you did. How, how did you do that? Well, I, I, I stopped playing relative, I mean, early enough, you know, once you get to a certain age and you stop it, it it's over because physically it would be impossible. But, you know, I stopped at 32 and I think I was just burnt out, you know, with, with how hard I think probably both of us had to work to get to a certain point. You just get burnt out. It's, it's tough. It's hard work. And I was just mentally and physically like, I need a break. And initially I was just going to take a little break, you know, a five, six month break and then go back to Europe. But then this opportunity at Marquette came and then, after every year, I was contemplating, man, I really miss it. I want to go back. I miss being in the locker room. I miss competing. And, you know, I went back at 35. And, you know, that first two, three months was was awful. You know, I, I just – I couldn't play. And I was telling my wife, like, this is a mistake. Uh, I need to retire. I, I'm, I'm awful. I, I, I'm really bad. I'm hurting the team. I went to my the coach who I have a great relationship with. He's been my only coach overseas. I go, coach, you don't, don't feel like you have to play me. Like, I'm not – I'm not good right now. <laughs> and he's like, Travis, I, I expected this. You missed three years. We're patient with you. And sure enough, after, after, you know, eight to 12 weeks, I finally, you know, basketball is a rhythm game. I got my legs under me and I finished that season. I finished off strong. I had a good season and, you know, I just kept going back and back. And to be honest, I feel good now. I feel great. I feel, I feel pretty healthy. Um, and as you get older, you, you realize what your role is and, 
I, I think I provide more of a, you know, a, a leadership, uh, calming influence, my knowledge throughout the game. So it's not so much I have to go out and score, you know, 20 points and, and all that. I don't have to do that anymore. And that's, that kind of eases my mind is, you know, I can just let these guys be great and help these guys be great. What's next for, for Travis Diener? Because I know if you didn't play another competitive basketball game, you probably would have left on the highest of highs making that shot for a million dollars in the corner. Are you looking to get back and play in Europe? Are you going to play in TBT next year to help defend the title? Or do you think you're going to start uh, heading back to, towards the coaching ranks? Yeah, that's a good question. It's something that I have to decide. I, I mean, it'd be a heck of a way to, to, to retire with that shot. Um, but I do love the game. I mean, I, I, I just love it. And, you know, in life, it's hard to find something besides, you know, your wife, your kids that you truly, truly love. And I love it. Like, it's, it's the only thing I've ever done. It's all I really think about. So that'd be hard. But, you know, you get older and, and it's, you know, going overseas isn't easy. There's no certainty over there right now with everything going on. Um, but I have to make a decision. Um, so, you know, what, what, whatever happens, I know it's going to be a, a tough decision, but there's no wrong. There's no wrong one. Um, and I'm sure as far as the TBT, as, as much as I want to say I'm not going to play, I know Joe and, and all the guys are going to want me to, to try to defend the title. So I wouldn't be surprised, uh, health bearing, if, if I was back playing in that uh, at the minimum. Last question before I let you go is, I know you're from the Milwaukee area and there's a lot of uh, breweries back there. Uh, you picked up a pretty big bar tab from what I saw on social media after that game-winning shot. And then Miller Lite also sent you a care package. Is that the biggest bar tab you've ever had to cover? Um, even going back to maybe your days in the NBA where maybe as a rookie, the guys kind of threw a bar tab at you. And then what was in that care package for Miller Lite? Because I'm jealous. It was uh, – it's actually my parents' bar up in Fond du Lac. Um, where I grew up and it's definitely the, the highest straight bar tab. I mean, it's just all alcohol and that $2,000 could get you about, that would have been like $30,000 in like New York. So you can really get drunk in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin for a, a cheap amount of money. If you look at that tab, there's a lot of alcohol con, uh, consumed that night. Uh, as far as Miller Lite, you know, I've always drank Miller Lite, you know, being from the area. Um, I tweeted at them after we won the championship, they, they sent me a message saying they were going to send me some stuff. I haven't received the care package yet. So that's the, that's the million dollar question is, is what is going to be in that package? So I'm still waiting. Uh, I'm sure it'll arrive here in the next uh, few days, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of just taking a life of its own and I'm kind of having fun with it. That's awesome. Well, Travis, I appreciate uh, you jumping on the ISO with myself. Dan Dickow on SB Live Sports in our Believe Podcast Network. Again, congratulations on, on one of the, the most awesome shots that I've seen and, and glad to reconnect and, and best of luck with your decision whether to continue to play or head into the coaching ranks. Thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate it. Always been a, a huge, huge fan.
The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.